to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to be in Surge. Uh, you will see. Yeah! That was the hypheners. They are in the other room right now. Um, being ministered to by the Reverend Pastor Soto tonight. So he's going to go smack him around a little bit. It's good for him. Uh, we all need that sometimes. Amen. Well, it's good to be here with everyone. You guys are awesome, looking good as always. Excited to be here, excited to share with you what God has placed on my heart for tonight. Um, if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to James chapter 4 with me, go ahead and do so if you are not there already. James chapter 4, let's go ahead and just uh, pray over this message tonight. Lord, thank you for this night. Thank you for bringing us all together here for your purpose and for your glory. God, I pray that we would honor you through the teaching of your word and through the way that we receive your word tonight, God. I pray that you would help us all to be great listeners and help us all to be doers of the word and not hearers only. I pray that you would anoint these next few moments tonight. God, help me to communicate and convey your word to your young people tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pull this out of here. I'm easily distracted. Shiny. Um, all right, let's read. Let's read James uh, chapter 4. We'll start in verse 11. It says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to, to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire." Wow, you have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Everybody say, wow. wow. Now say it backwards. Wow. 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 James has the flamethrower out tonight, per usual. Per usual. He's a very fiery, fiery guy in this book. And he does not stop short of preaching and teaching very convicting words. Well, if you were, if you remember, you were with us next, last week. We discussed consuming things upon your pleasure. And I think that 
um, it is uh, very telling of the nation that we live in that during this little pandemic that we call COVID, um, when we received, do you remember we received a bunch of money from the government? I mean, you guys probably don't. Adults did, okay? Your parents got money for you existing and living in their home to help feed you, clothe you, take care of you, and so on. And when we look back at those statistics, they're starting to come out that all of that money that was meant to go towards maybe taking care of some medical bills, paying off debt or crucial bills or various things like that, you know what they actually went towards most of it? More debt. More cars. More computers, more iPhones, you name it. The majority of that money, they have traced some of it, taken a sample size and traced some of it, a very high percentage, went to all sorts of different things other than the things that they probably were most needed for. And if you ask me, that is very telling of where we are at as a nation. That proves the contents of our heart. Our spending habits. We are a nation that is very, very absorbed in, in just indulging ourselves and, and taking in whatever we can get our hands on, whatever media we can consume, whatever new gadget we can get, and we will waste as much of our time and energy and money as possible to just feed the passions of our own desires. And if you remember, we discussed that last week. We talked about how it was like the, uh, it was like the prodigal son who took his father's inheritance and traveled off to a far land, and he blew everything away. Think about that. Walks up to his dad, says, I know you're not dead, but can I have my inheritance now so that way I don't need you anymore? How offensive, right? That's pretty disrespectful. And he goes off and just absolutely wastes all of it and, and comes back in the end because he was eating with the pigs. And so we discussed what that was like. We discussed what it's like to feed the lust and the desires of your heart. And there was a final call to repentance. And what we will see tonight is that James is kind of continuing in that vein a little bit. It ties into it. But now he's starting to layer in some things that we have already discussed. A few subjects and themes are going to start rising up in this final chapter that are going to surface. And, and we're, it's going to give us a chance to sort of re-highlight those things and cement them in our mind. And so when we take a look at this, verse 11 through 12, we'll read those once again. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. That's a familiar topic, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. Do not speak evil of one another. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. We see speaking evil and we see judgment or we see judging each other. What do these relate to? They relate to showing favoritism and partiality, like we discussed from James chapter 2, and it also relates to our tongue and how we control that, that object in our mouth. And these two are really closely linked together. So James uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Let's read that for a moment. I didn't give them this. I'm just going to read it. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. So this topic is coming up to us again. Don't talk 
behind the back of each other. Don't gossip and critique every little thing that's going on in somebody else's life. Don't get caught up comparing yourself to people. Don't get hung up on what they're doing right or what they're doing wrong. Don't gossip. If you really are who you claim you are, or who you claim to be, then you will not bless God and curse men who are made in the image of God out of the same mouth. We know that a river cannot bring salt water and fresh water. It's only one kind of water. So you're either one way or the other. And if the salt water, let's just take it and use it as representing the bad, if salt water starts to get into fresh water, what happens? It gets salty. And you can add more fresh water to it, but the salt is still there. It's contaminated. And so James is saying this is revealing of who you really are. The man who can tame the tongue is a perfect man. Matthew 15, 11, Jesus said that it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles the man. It's what rises up within you and comes out. A man who can control his tongue, the same as a perfect man. So whatever we say is a very good indicator of who we really are. It's a good indicator of who we really are. Jesus said, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Right? The classic rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We are to treat others with, with the same love of Christ and respect that we would expect them to treat us with. And here's the kicker, ready? We do it even if they don't do it to us. Right? We do it even though, even when they don't do it back to us. So speaking evil and judging each other, they almost seem inseparable in this, in this passage. Let's take a look at that next phrase that we highlighted, who judges his brother. That comes from James chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. It says, For the, if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So James is speaking of showing favoritism to the rich over the poor. And we know that the posture of sitting or standing was the posture of a slave or a servant. And so we know God is no respecter of persons, but as man, we tend to show favoritism. We tend to look on the external of people and we start to judge them based on how they look and interact, how they talk, the overall feel, their personality. We judge strictly just based on all the externals. James is saying, don't, don't do that. Don't show that kind of favoritism or partiality. These things ought not to be so. And then he asks this pointed question at the end. Have you not shown partiality amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Think about that. Aren't you making yourself judges and not just any judges, but when you and I try to become a judge, we are immediately a corrupt judge. We are a corrupt judge. We, are, we, we will always, no matter how fair or unbiased you attempt to be, there are things going on in your mind that are stacking the deck in your, in your favor so you can reap the benefits of having such a, such a prestigious person or a cool person, whatever label you want to put on them, 
to have them under your wing or at your side, to have someone of power and of wealth. And in the process, the poor, the sick, the hungry, they're still being oppressed and treated like they are nothing more than a mere slave because we, so, we, we show so much partiality. Here's what Jesus thinks about this. Matthew 25, 35-36 For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Skipping down to verse 40 And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. He's saying, if you don't just do it to them, but you do it to the least of them, the most lowly person, the same you have done to me. You have done it to me. It says, if you did it for Jesus. So stop treating people based on how they look, sound, or dress. Stop focusing on the externals because that carries little to no weight about the real inside of a man. If we are judging people in this way, then we are not being doers of the word. James is very clear about that. We are not being doers of the word, and in the process, we have made ourselves judges of the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. If you are running around condemning one another, then you have made yourself a judge. And if you think that you can take the rightful place of a judge, then you need to think again. Because according to James, that's deceptive thinking, right? How do we know that we are deceived? Because we have made ourselves a judge. Because we think that we actually can fulfill that kind of a purpose. You may not actually like in the forefront of your mind, be thinking that, but he's saying your actions are telling me that that is something that is rooted deep inside of you. And Paul makes it crystal clear in Romans that there is none righteous, no, not one. No one on the planet has ever been or will ever be perfectly sinless with the exception of who? Jesus, Jesus Christ, who is in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. How ridiculous is this thinking? How deceptive is this? Well, James says, let me tell you. Verse 12, there is one lawgiver, capital L, meaning deity, meaning Jesus, who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? You think you have the right to take the job title from the one being in existence who actually fulfills the qualifications for that? You must be out of your mind. But that's what we are doing. It's like if this might be too old for you. Some of you might get it. Some of you might not. But this is like the equivalent to Jed Clampett thinking he can be the president of the United States. Anybody know who that is? Okay, never mind. Anyone know who Barney is? Okay, it's like if Barney thought he could be the president of the United States. If you want to know more about Jed Clampett, you can ask me after. I know we have some homeschoolers in here, okay? And I was treated like a homeschooler growing up, so I watched old TV shows. That's all I have to say. So, when you judge someone, it's as if you are placing yourself, listen now, it's as if you're placing yourself above the law. It's like you think you're too good for it. It's like saying, I am the law. 
So you obey my law. You obey my law. Such thinking could not be, could be, could not be further from the truth. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Meaning that we would make the worst kind of judges with all of our attitudes, our biases, our emotions, our tongue. None of us would make a good judge. None of us can be the law. Only Jesus can be that. All our passions, our desires that we're willing to fight and war over just to consume it upon our lust like we talked about last week. All that driving force within us completely disqualifies us from being able to judge anyone or condemn anyone or talk badly about anyone or point a finger to anyone. There's only one who can judge perfectly, and that's Jesus Christ. So don't judge or speak evil of each other because in doing so, you are making yourself the law. And in the process, when you judge, you are being completely disobedient to Christ, which now puts you in the classification of being a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word. And that's where we get the whole point of you are then deceived. It's a very prideful position to take. It's a very prideful position to take. And with pride in mind, let's continue on to the next set of scriptures. Verses 13 through 16. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there, buy and sell and make profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting in is evil. This is the mind of one whose sole focus is on the here and now. On this life. They are never satisfied with their money, their belongings, or their status. They're always looking to the next thing that they can sink their teeth into and consume upon all of their desires. They're so worried about this life that they judge and tear down the reputation of another in order to build themselves up. And everything to them is, is external and materialistic. They just assume that tomorrow is always going to be there and they take no account for the fact that life really is short. Listen to those words again. It is even a vapor. Think about that. It's here for a moment. And by the time it registers in your brain that it's present and your eye catches it, it disappears. That's basically what a vapor does. It comes up, you see it for a split second, and it just goes away. Always dissipating, always vanishing. Now, he's not saying to completely ignore tomorrow altogether but rather to make sure that you consider it with the right perspective. With God in view and not with our self-centered, selfish desires. To even think about tomorrow without including God, God's will, is a prideful thought because you do not know whether or not tomorrow will be there. We don't know. We don't know. And that's a prideful thought. There's a little bit of pride in that. To just assume that we have tomorrow. Or to assume that we have next year. Or 10 years. Or 20. Or 30. The author of Hebrews says, It's appointed for men to die once. Everyone will die at some point. And we know the wages of sin is death. And it's been that way since Adam and Eve. That was the consequence for their sin, was it not? 
They were living perfectly. They were literally in, in the best kind of scenario anyone could be in, and they still were deceived by Satan, and they found a way to mess it all up, and then they would eventually die. Now, this is a harsh reality, but we really need to face it. That's the penalty of sin. Our physical death is the penalty of sin. So every day we wake up, every move we make, every breath that we take in is because of God's grace and His mercy that is allowing you to continue to breathe and take in air. It's by His grace and mercy that you wake up the next day. It's because He allowed it. And God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. It's up to me. That's what God's saying there. And Romans 9.16 says, So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. There is nothing that you can do in your physical ability to guarantee that you will have tomorrow. It's only, it's only by God's mercy. It's only by His grace. It's by His decision. You have no control over tomorrow. So whatever He wills to do, He can do. And he will do it because nobody can resist his will. There is a time and a season for everything. A time to plant, a time to harvest, a time to laugh, a time to weep, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to be born, and of course, a time to die. So don't live life like tomorrow is guaranteed. Because who has known the mind of the Lord? Who knows his mind? Are you his counselor? Are you above him? Are you above the law? Are you his judge? Are you able to pick, choose when, where, why, and how tomorrow will occur? Absolutely not. We have no right to sit in that seat. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out, Paul says in Romans 11. That's why Jesus instructs us in this way. In Matthew chapter 6. But seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't obsess over tomorrow. Place the majority of your focus on the kingdom of heaven. Place your focus on the one thing that will never pass away. There is one thing you can guarantee that will be there, and that is Jesus Christ, and that is His kingdom. Place it on God, His kingdom, and His will. Those are the three guarantees that you have in this life. Because your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, the psalmist writes, and your dominion endures throughout all Generations, His power, His dominion, His will, His kingdom. It endures through all generations. It's eternal. It's forever. And it's dangerous to think, or it's a dangerous thing to not have our minds focused solely upon God, allowing all the other thoughts and actions and desires of our lives and the pleasures of our lives to flow through that singular thought, the, the thought of God in mind. Verse 17, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. James is saying, you know what to do. You've been instructed many times. I've told you what real faith is all about. So be a doer of the word of God. Be obedient. Act upon it. 
Let your faith move you to live for God. Be a real, genuine, believing Christian that has the fruit to prove it. Stop judging each other. Stop speaking poorly behind everybody's back. Be a real Christian and do it. And if you don't, that's a sin for you. Because you've heard what God has instructed you. And you are willfully not doing it. And that leads us into the beginning of chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. This is really intense. This is your Bible, okay? Everybody good? We good for intense scriptures? All right. It's in here. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Saying you want to have the best seats in the house, you want to be in cahoots with the rich, with the wealthy, with the cool people, the people of status, you want to live with only this world in mind and all of its materials, well, here's what that kind of thinking will get you. It will get you nothing but judgment. You brought nothing into this world, you will bring nothing out of it. All of our material possessions are nothing in the grand scheme of things. They are nothing to God. They do not matter. But what does matter is your heart. And, and your heart's connection to God. Matthew 6, 19-21 Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Because it's impossible for thieves to get in there. Remember from the Shepherd series? Anyway, you can go back and think about that again. Verse 21 for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Stop obsessing over the money and these earthly things that are all going to pass away because you too could pass away in pursuit of all of those things. Because we're focused on pursuing our best life right now than pursuing our best life in eternity. This life passes away, but eternity is forever. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. When you focus on the kingdom, God will focus on you and he will give you what you need. It doesn't mean that you're going to get everything. It doesn't mean you're going to win the lottery. It doesn't mean that every single desire will be fulfilled. But what it does mean is he's going to take care of you no matter what. He will take care of you. But if you do not, and you remain obsessed with this life, instead of that life, this is what happens. Verse 4, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of their reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. They're focused on the here and now. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. I want to focus on that for just a moment. Luke 15, 16 again. We go back to the prodigal son that we talked about last week. It says, And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Remember, he spends all of his money. Then he goes to this guy, basically sells himself to this guy. He has him take care of the pigs. 
And now he's so hungry that he's eating what the pigs are eating. Pods. What are pods? Pods are a fruit called korab. And they come from a korab tree. Ah, makes sense. So this fruit is shaped like a horn and has a sweet taste. It was and is used not only in fattening pigs or swine, but it is also a food, an article of food for the lower classes. So those who are obsessed with consuming everything in this world are like the swine who are mindlessly consuming this korab fruit. And what, while it tastes good, while it satisfies them for a moment, only to drive them back to the same food over and over and over again, all it is doing is fattening up the pigs so they can be slaughtered and sold off and consumed. That's the imagery here. That's what, and that's, what, that's literally what America is doing right now. Everybody's focus is on everything in this life. And what, what the majority of people do not realize is they are literally just fattening themselves up for judgment. In verse 6, I'm going to end with this verse. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. When I read that statement last night, it hit me a little bit different. Because that statement in the Greek does not guarantee that that should be a lowercase h. That very well could be an uppercase h, meaning God. Think about that for a moment. I think it should be capitalized. Here's why. There's a theme going through James that strings back to chapter 4, and it's, it's continuing here in 5. James keeps, well, in, in chapter 5 here, James keeps foreshadowing what? Judgment. If you go all the way through it, you see all these statements of judgment. Listen, miseries that are coming upon you, that's a form of judgment. You're consuming all these things, you think they're going to make you happy, but they don't. You're miserable. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. That's talking about the judgment of God in the last days. You have uh, uh, the reapers, that their cries have reached the ears of the Lord. God hears their cries. Remember Cain and Abel? Where's, where, where's Abel? Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And then Jesus said, or God says to, to Cain, he says, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. I can hear his cry from when you killed him. That was when judgment came down on Cain. And then we see the day of slaughter as well. And here we are again. That theme is continuing. He does not resist you. And it reaches back to chapter 4. He keeps hinting at the day of judgment. And, and we remember this verse from chapter 4, James 4 and 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Remember what that means. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Resist, to oppose, or to be against. It's a military term of soldiers organizing they're, they're, they're positioning themselves against you to have this form of resistance to fight against you. 
It's very precise, calculated location to fight a battle. You're not just against God, but you're against His army. He is a force to be reckoned with. A, a strategically placed army ready for battle. And the act of God even opposing your pride is an indirect act of His grace. God gives more grace, not so that He can just give saving grace to the humble, but the fact that as you try to run away from God, that He would have an army uniquely positioned against you to fight and war against you, that is God's grace trying to convict you and turn your life back around to Him to try to waken you up from your pride and come back to Him. He fights that war for you. 2 Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, or slowness. He's not slow, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's exactly what's happening. God is patiently warring against you, convicting you, trying to draw you back in. When, you, when God gets in a fight with you, within a fight within your soul, and you feel that stress and that tension, that is God's grace standing against your stubborn, prideful decision to try to go in the opposite direction, to try to disobey His Word. And the most devastating judgment that we can receive for our lives is that final haunting statement of James 5 and 6. Let's look at that again. He does not resist you. It is possible, young people, for us to reach a place with God because we are so-called faithful Christians, but we don't act like it, and we keep being a hypocrite, and we keep on not practicing what we claim to be practicing. That kind of stubborn and, and divided mind can take us so far as to a point where God will no longer graciously resist the direction you're heading. And when God pulls His resistance off your pride, all that's left is your flesh and your pride. There's no more God involved. The Bible calls this a debased mind. A debased mind. Or a reprobate mind. And what that means is, it basically means a rejected mind. You have been officially rejected. That's what that means. Now I know that's a very gut-wrenching heavy statement. But that's what your Bible teaches you. And I don't think for one moment that anybody in this place fits that in this exact moment. But I do believe that if we are not careful, we can, 40 years from now, be heading straight for that moment. We have to make up in our minds this day who we will serve. Either the gods of all the idols of this world, or we serve the almighty God who created heaven and earth and by His will gives you the breath to be here tonight. If you'd stand with me. We have to make that decision and we have to make it very clear. 
you can see this, this, this whole passage tonight just dripping with the main primary theme of James. Do you have real faith or do you have fake faith? Are you really a Christian? Are you really a believer? Or are you not? That's his heart's cry throughout this entire book. Do you have a faith that moves you and motivates you to do something powerful for God? Remember, when you have real faith, you feel deep, inner-seated conviction rising up from your gut. And it motivates you and, and causes you and implores you to, to go in a direction. To share the gospel. To clothe the naked. To feed the hungry. To visit those who are in a jail cell. To help the widows and the orphans. To build a covenant of righteousness with your neighborhood and your friends at school. To break bread with them. To sup with them. To get involved in their lives. That's what real Christianity is all about. That's what real faith is all about. And we cannot sell ourselves short of that. I hope this message was clear for you tonight. And so for the next few moments, I just think that we do need to take a, take a few moments. And we need to once again consider our hearts, consider our minds. Am I really, am I a real Christian? Do I really have real, genuine faith in Jesus? If you're a little bit shaky in that, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. You, God is slow. He's slow to wrath, slow to judgment. He gives you time. Why? Because that's His grace giving you the time to build up your faith and your courage to live a life for him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.